Amen. Good morning, church family, and happy New Year's Eve. I love the message. Thank you, Wes, the message on the resolutions so that I learned something uh, that I will not forget. So thank you for that. Um, My name is Mr. Mark, so I introduce myself that way because today, this morning, we are joined by Cornerstone Gospel City Kids. So I want to do this. If you are in sixth grade to first grade, or you were supposed to have gone to Gospel City Kids, but you found yourself here this morning in big church, as we call it. Can you stand up for me, please? Where are you? Your faces look familiar. Let's give them a round of applause. Listen, it, it blesses me. Stay standing. Stay standing. It blesses me that you are here. I'm so glad that you are here. And check this out. They get to let me do this in big church. Can you guys believe that? So we'll see how this goes. It may never happen again. But to encourage participation in Gospel City Kids, and we call participation volunteering or right answers, you might say. They know me as the guy that shows up with candy. So however we encourage participation, so there you go. So now the kids are settled in. Now that's the guy I remember. There we go. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10. I'm going to meet you there in a second, but before I do, let me give you a a kind of a a glimpse of where we're headed. So we've just come out of a season in Genesis, marching through verse by verse, theologically deep, doctrinally deep, so helpful for us. We're then going to take a pause for a couple weeks here and then move ourselves similarly into John going verse by verse. That's not what today is. Today is not this a verse by verse exposition, which is fine. This morning is going to be more topical, and my prayer has been that it's very helpful, that it's very practical, that it practically encourages you in your walk, in your journey, and in your ability to glorify our King. So that's where we're headed today. Now, in August of this year, I decided, speaking of resolutions, I decided that in September... I was turning 46, so September of this year, I turned 46 years old. And I said in August, you know what? I think I wanna run a marathon. So, but before I get to the marathon length, because that's a lot of miles, let me just try a half marathon. So from August to September, I thought I ran a half marathon for every week for six straight weeks. And if you're gonna adopt a hobby such as running, I highly recommend that you do not do it that way. My body is still trying to recover from, it was just, it was foolish. I had no idea what I was doing, not a clue what I was doing. But I took up running. And I came across an article that read something, uh, said something about these ultra marathoners, like goes beyond a marathon. And the average age of an ultra marathoner, this might surprise you, is like 44 years old. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm right there. I'm in the game still. My wife and I decided to have kids into our 40s, so I teased my kids and my wife that I have to be in better shape from 40 to 60 than I was from 20 to 40. So sign me up for these ultra marathons. So I did. So I'll tell you how it goes. So if, if in this October, if I disappear, it's because I, did, <laughs> I didn't make it. Here's what I was ready for. I was ready for the training. I was ready for my lungs and the need of my lungs to build their capacity to be able to go these long distances. I was ready for the, the, the nutrition aspect, the diet protocols, things would have to change in order for me to accomplish this kind of a feat. 
Here's what I wasn't ready for. I was not prepared, once I started training on these long runs, I was not prepared for the war that would be raging in my mind once I got past discomfort. Are you, is anybody a runner? Have you ever attempted this thing we call running? Like, what are we thinking? Like, good grief. Once you get to discomfort, the war is on. The negotiation in your mind is on. And for me, this wave of negativity crashes inside of my brain. Once I get now to about mile four or five, it used to be like the first hundred yards, the negotiation's on. But by God's grace, now it's at about mile four or five, here comes this wave, this avalanche of negativity into my brain. And it goes a little something like this. You're not striking in midfoot, man. You're striking in your heel. You don't know how to run. You don't know what you're doing. Your breathing's way off. L listen to yourself. Look at you sound so out of breath. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to run. Don't your Achilles tendons hurt? Yeah, actually, both of them hurt. Yeah, they're killing me, so just stop. What are you doing this for? Here's a good one. An elderly lady whom I've cheered on the whole way passes me on a run. And I'm like, she's 85 years old. I'm, I'm not cut out for this. It's true. And then this deep, dark cave that I have in my mind ends here. Here's the thought. I am simply not good enough. I'm just simply not good enough. And that thought has plagued me my entire life. I'm simply not good enough. So what do I do? I realize that my mind is a battlefield. And running coaches, there are such things as running coaches, I've looked a couple of them up. They will tell you that when these negative thoughts come into your brain, here's what you do. You replace them with positive thoughts. Okay, is that it? And they say, well, it's not just positive thoughts. It's a mantra. And I'm like, is this voodoo or is this running? What do you mean mantra? A mantra? Yep, mantra. Okay, I'm listening. They call them running mantras. And if you were curious, here's a definition of a running mantra. A specific set of words or thoughts, because you're not typically audibly saying this, a specific set of thoughts that you repeat during tough moments to help you find inner strength to go on. Let me say that again. A specific set of thoughts that you repeat during tough moments to help you find the inner strength to go on. That, to me, sounds like a reason I should memorize Scripture. Doesn't sound like a running mantra to me. Doesn't that sound familiar? Here's some mantra examples. This is where it veers away from Scripture for a second, but I thought you would like this. Here's, here's some mantra examples. Don't give pain a voice. Get comfortable with the pain cave. Nobody cares. Work harder. This too shall pass. That sounds a little too soft for me. I'm loving this challenge. That's way too soft for me. My favorite, embrace the suck, man. The running coach goes on to say, I'm here to help you understand how your thoughts influence your run. And that stuck with me. I'm here to help you understand how your thoughts influence your run. And I thought to myself, is that true? Is something as simple as your thoughts can influence my run to go farther? What about the thoughts to influence my life? Pastor Micah said, hey, 
pray on preaching on December 31st. I'm going to pray as well, and we'll see what God has for us. He comes back to me, and he says, hey, you get anything? I was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I think the Lord wants me to preach on your mind's a battlefield, man. He's like, unbelievable, that's exactly what I think God wants our people to hear. Because I think for a lot of us, our mind is a battlefield. And I think a lot of us can probably relate. So I thought, do we, maybe we should have some spiritual mantras this morning. We call that God's word. We certainly aren't going to call it spiritual mantras. But what I've discovered is those impulses of negative thinking, those thoughts that crash my brain, are similar impulses and patterns that maybe you and I face in our daily life. That running has nothing to do with it. It's the simple fact that our mind's a battlefield. So here's the big idea. Defeating the lies in the battlefield of our mind with the truth of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the answer to prayer for me and Pastor Micah and just really wanting to be helpful that we can gaze upon the face of our Lord, that we can see the mind of God as we look through your word and that we can come out of here practically encouraged and and helped by the power of the spirit, by the grace of God. Speak to us now as we look into your holy inspired and authoritative word. Amen. So how about you? Do you face this? You may not face it while running, but how about in just your your everyday life? Do you face these kinds of battles in your mind, this negative thinking or broken thinking or fears, doubts, worry, despair, rejection, anxiety, and so on and so on, chronic negativity? Have you ever had moments where in one minute you are so full of faith You are so full of faith, and by God's grace, there isn't a challenge you cannot overcome. But maybe almost in the same breath, you're full of fear. Or in moments you completely trust God and you're going to let go of of your grip on a situation or a relationship, only to find yourself wanting to scratch back at all the control. Or you have so much spiritual confidence that God has led you in a certain direction and this is the decision that we're gonna make because this is what God has for us, spiritual confidence only to find yourself crippled in insecurity, paralyzed and unable to make a decision. I have found myself there. Your mind is a battlefield and a constant war is being waged about what we choose to think about. And what running has taught me is that my mind wants to give up long before my body will quit. And just as my words influence my run, my words also shape my life. Your mind is a battlefield. And what scripture and brain science and psychology, cognitive behavior psychologists, and I wish I could share with you all of the research, but unfortunately I can't do it in an hour's time. But they all agree on this, that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And we see that in the Apostle Paul, don't we? In Romans 7, he sounds like a crazy man. He said, this is the Apostle Paul, like the ultimate thought warrior. If anybody was a steel trap for a mind, it was him. And he even says, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I should do. He's lamenting. He's battling. And how does he end? He ends it with the wretched, oh, the wretched man that I am. 
But there's good news. You want good news? I want good news. We need good news. We don't fight this battle alone, and by the power of the Spirit, our minds can be renewed. We are called to love the Lord our God with our minds. Remember, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your your mind, yes. Dude, I think I'm out of Jolly Ranchers. I had one, I throw it to you, yeah. With your mind, God cares about your thoughts. God is not indifferent to your thoughts. The greatest commandment is to love him with our mind. Here's a few points to consider. To trust God to help us win the war in our minds. We'll just have a few. The first one is this, recognize that your mind is a battlefield. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. We're gonna look at verses three and four. If you've turned there, we'll, we'll be there in a second. 2 Corinthians 10, three through four. Let's read that together. And let's see if we can pick up on any of this battlefield, battleground, warring kind of language. Here it is. Verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war, According to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. That's dynamis, where we get the word dynamite. They have explosive divine power to destroy strongholds. So there is a spiritual war. There is a war. We acknowledge that. Paul acknowledges that. But the war is with an invisible enemy, which makes it very difficult, doesn't it? That's how crafty our enemy is. There is a war, we live in a fallen world, and we have fallen minds with an enemy who wants to devour, destroy, and kill. He's like a lion seeking, prowling to kill you. That's his aim. And a crafty way, a very effective way for an enemy such as that, how would he fight? He would create a stronghold, an invisible one. Stronghold's not a word that you've probably heard before, like what in the world's a stronghold? We don't use that word. Here's what it means. Stronghold simply means okuroma in the Greek, O-K-U-R-O-M-A, okuroma. What does that mean? That word means fortress, fortress. And the Corinthians would have quickly picked up on this metaphor because it was a fortress in the middle of their own city. Paul's referring to the fortress in the middle of their own city. Well, what was this fortress for? It was to keep military officials safe during battle, or if they were being pursued, they would rush the residents of the city inside of this fortress to keep them safe and protected. Fortress, that's a stronghold. It would have been immediately obvious to them. Oh, I get it, they would have said. I get it. Our enemy wants to create a fortress to lock us in. Yes, but it's an invisible fortress inside of your own mind. Inside of a fortress of deception. That's how he plays, that's how he fights. A fortress of deception is what he's trying to create. To lock you inside of your own mind so that you can never escape. Does that happen to you? So how does he do it? If that's true, how does he do it? Here's how he does it. 
He'll try to convince you that you can't trust people. You've been hurt way too many times in your life. You can't trust anybody. You're never going to succeed. You didn't get that promotion. You know you should have. You're never going to be successful in life. Or God doesn't care about you. Or maybe there is no God. You can't make a difference. You're not a Christian. God doesn't hear your prayers. In my stronghold, you'll never be good enough. You just don't measure up. You'll never be good enough. This is how the enemy fights. His design is to keep you from salvation or to stall your sanctification, to keep you from God's best for your life. So what do we do? What do we do? Let's read on. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. We destroy or demolish, your version may say demolish. We destroy, demolish arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We demolish and destroy your version of every lofty opinion that may say pretension. And that simply means this, thoughts, ideas, reasonings, philosophies, false religions. We destroy every one of those raised against the knowledge of God. That simply means raised against what we know to be true about God and his will for our life. Anything raised against that, what do we do? We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our mind is a battlefield, waging war inside of it. It's a battleground for what's true and what isn't. That's what it is. So if we're going to take every thought captive, what do we do? It's point number two this morning. It's to identify your stronghold. So we, one, know that our mind is a battlefield. And two, let's identify, I've told you what mine was, what's your stronghold? If we're going to take every thought captive, we have to identify what the stronghold is because we cannot defeat what we cannot define. Identifying the stronghold so you know how to attack. So what's yours? Take five, five to ten seconds. What's yours? What's your stronghold? What's the one lie? There could be five, ten, fifty. But what's the one that always comes back? What's the one lie, the one deception that's on repeat in your mind? The one lie our enemy is trying to trap inside your mind. I want you to write it down or think about it if you don't have anything to write with. Think about that for a second. Here's an example. I'll just give you some examples. I don't know what it is for you, but I know how the enemy operates. Here could be some examples as you're thinking about it. You've heard me say you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be a, a good at homeschooling your kids. You're never going to be a good parent. You're never going to have enough friends. You're never going to be smart enough. You're never going to get that job you thought you should have had because you got this certain degree. You're not even going to be able to get into that college you were hoping you'd get into because you're not smart enough. You don't have enough friends. You're never going to beat this addiction. You don't have what it takes. You're never going to get out of debt. You're always going to be broke. You're always going to be depressed. What is the one stronghold? that our enemy is trying to attack you with. We take every thought captive because as one pastor put it, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. In other words, what we think shows up in the decisions we make in our lives, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. 
If your mind is routinely positive in that it thinks on the promises of God, you're probably happy with the direction that your life is taking you. On the contrary, if your mind is routinely negative, void of God's promises, you may not be happy with where your thoughts are headed and where your life is headed. So the question is, are you satisfied with the direction your thoughts are taking you? Now, what science tells us, and and we've learned, we've seen it on brain scans, believe it or not, of what we would call a healthy versus an unhealthy brain, one that's routinely positive and one that's routinely negative. And here's what we know. Each thought we create, or each thought we think creates a neuropathway in our brain, which which allows us to think that same thought again, but faster and easier. And these collections of thoughts turn into patterns of thinking. Consider this the shortcut in your brain. So instead of individual thoughts, you now will think in patterns. Here's an example. Let's say that as, as a youngster, maybe somebody somewhere told you that you weren't smart enough. You didn't have what it takes with the books. Because for some of us, me included, you had to grind. You had to grind. And for others, it looked so effortless and easy. But for you, it was tough. And you had to grind it out. And somewhere along the way, somebody says to you, you're just not smart enough. You just don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. And maybe somewhere along the way, somebody with an elevated education maybe insulted you in some way. So now what your mind is going to do, it's going to look for the proof of the lie that you've convinced yourself of. It's looking for the proof. It's going to find what it's looking for. And what it's now looking for, because of what you've chosen to believe about yourself, that I'm not smart enough, I don't have what it takes, I'm not good enough, all of a sudden, anyone that's educated, you can't stand. Education itself is a waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's worthless. And even worse, anybody that is educated, you may now have a negative bias. You see how that works? I don't know what your stronghold is, but I can tell you that that's the craftiness of the enemy, that that's how the processing of your brain will work. We need to choose our thoughts wisely. So what does the Bible have to say? So that's a little bit about science and research. What does the Bible have to say about this idea of this battle taking place in your mind and that our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts? Proverbs 23, 7 says this. It's a little bit obscure, but here's what it says. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Now, you may read that and say, that does nothing for me. I don't even know what that means. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. You may have a footnote in your Bible like I do here in the ESV, and it says this. For as he calculates in his soul, so is he. Or as he calculates in his mind. The New King James Version, I appreciate it, says this. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So the Bible confirms what science has finally caught up to, which is your thoughts matter. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And what we think determines what we become. And our mindset drives us to think in certain ways. This mindset is just simply a collection of thoughts that drive our belief and it shapes our habits and it affects what we do and how we feel. And you should know, our minds do not start in neutral. 
We aren't born with a neutral mind. Our theology teaches us that our mind is born hostile to the things of the Spirit. That our mind is an enemy at birth. Our mind is fallen. And it needs recreated. It needs recreated. Recent research has also shown that an overwhelming majority of life's life's issues can be directly tied to wrong or toxic thinking. For example, relational struggles with a sibling, a parent, a coworker, relational struggles, eating disorders, addictions, gender dysphoria, and so on and so on. So often, the life that we have is a reflection of the thoughts we think. I'm gonna hit pause because right now, I think I need to dispel some myths. Because you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't know about this. I don't think Christians are supposed to struggle like this. I mean, when you surrender and submit your life to Jesus Christ, I don't, should you struggle this way? You might be thinking that. Some in alleged Christian circles have even said as much. Or, Maybe this fight you have in your mind is simply a lack of faith. Maybe you just don't have enough faith. Maybe you haven't prayed about it. Maybe you prayed the wrong prayer. Maybe you should have been praying for this instead of that. Maybe it's unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe you're not even saved. Maybe that's why you struggle so much in your mind. And here's the thing. Every answer to every one of those questions could be yes. But it could also be no. And you may very well be sitting here not a believer in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for you is that before you leave this building, you get with a friend that you came with or you visit with me or a pastor or an elder that will be down here at the front at the end of the service and let's have that conversation about trusting in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. That may be you. Or, or the battle that we fight in our mind has nothing to do with our salvation, nor does it have anything to do with being a good enough Christian. It just simply means that you're human. It means that you're human. And Scripture's heroes, all of Scripture's heroes, let's think about them for a second, in their faith. Did they battle in their minds? Remember Elijah? Elijah was full of confidence. He slays 800 false prophets of Baal. He's calling fire down from heaven. This is Elijah. And shortly after, he's all alone. He's depressed and wants to die. He's battling. How about David? The great David, a man after God's own heart, can you imagine? Who are you to come against the armies of the living God, says David? Boldness and faith. And then battles deep despair, wondering if God has completely abandoned him. And lastly, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah battles loneliness, insecurity, and curses the day he was born. They're battling. They're battling. And they're men of God. Turn to your Bibles with me to um, Psalm 88. You may not have ever read Psalm 88, maybe you have, but it's not typically a psalm that we go to often, but I want to go there because I want it to provide some encouragement for you this, this morning. Psalm 88. 
Now, while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about Psalm 88. Psalm 88 was written by a a man named Heman, H-E-M-A-N, Heman. And we learn about Heman in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles. And we learn that he was a well-respected man of God. He had great wisdom. There's an implication that he had lots of kids or that he was a good parent. A talented musician, but some think he might have started the very first choir. And he was faithful to Solomon and his service to his king, he was faithful. This was a man of God. This was a man of faith. Here is his psalm. And it seems that in this psalm, that from his youth, and you see that in verse 15, but from his youth, there seems to be some sort of ailment, something that has afflicted him in some kind of way that he suffers terrors and is helpless from the time he was a youth. And he assumes, this is Heman, he assumes that God is angry with him, but he knows no cause for the anger. So here's what he says. He's battling. Here's Psalm 88. I'm just going to go down through a few verses. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you, Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Clearly, this man is in distress. Verse 3, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol or death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Verse 5, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. He clearly feels forgotten by God. Verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Some of us are there. It's dark and it's deep in our minds. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Verse 8, you've caused me, you've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Do you believe that God has turned everybody against you too? Clearly, he's believing a lie. Verse 9, my eyes grow dim through sorrow. It means his eyes are full of tears. And what's interesting is what he does next is exactly what I want to encourage you with. Because many of us here are dealing with something. We all have stuff. There's a battle that's going on in every one of our minds. I know it. And what I want to encourage you with is what you see here in Heman in verse 13. You're doing exactly what he's doing. He got something right in all of these verses. And it's exactly what you're getting right. And here's what it is. Verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. And so what you're getting right is something in you says, I know where help is found. It is deep and dark in my mind. And I do feel abandoned by God. But I'm going to church on Sunday morning. I'm going to surround myself with people who I know love me and care for me. I'm going to go to a place where I know that God's word is faithfully preached because I know that's what I need. Somewhere that's what's going through your mind to be sure. And that's exactly what he got right in verse 13. But he goes on in his lament and he ends the psalm this way in verse 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companion have become darkness. 
It's the same as saying, darkness is my only friend. Many of us, if not now, we have been in this place where it feels like darkness is my only friend. Now, I'm glad for the psalm because I think it encourages, it encourages me, and I pray that it encourages you because God is not afraid of our honesty. God is not afraid to call out and identify and recognize any kind of mental pain, trauma, or struggle that we're going through at all. It should well up hope in you that God is not running from you. He's not an indifferent or a lazy father. If you feel the weight and the struggle of the stronghold, it could simply mean that you're human. You can be full of faith. You can be worshipful. You can be consistently meeting with the Lord through prayer, his word. Home could be good. Work's good. School's good. All of that can be right. And you still struggle with doubt. And you still struggle believing lies. You can love God, but have questions. You can worship fully and still hurt. And when you hurt, he cares. We are Christians who are human, who struggle, who need grace, who need our minds renewed. And if you're really struggling this morning, just as a side note, if you're really struggling, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to find somebody here and I want you to tell them you're struggling. I want you to let somebody shoulder some of the burden that you may be trying to carry in your mind. I want somebody to carry that, help carry that burden with you. If you're not in a small group, I I want you to try to join one. Get around people who love you and care for you. And if you say, look, I'm doing all that and I'm still really fighting, I'm still really struggling, I just wanna encourage you. I and my family, we have sought professional counseling. We've sought counseling inside the church. We've sought counseling outside the church, biblical counseling outside the church. And it is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. So do not feel weak if you feel like, you know what, I need some help. This is a real battle that I'm I'm fighting. I need some help. We need what Heman needed. We need grace. Transforming, renewing grace. And you know what? If, if I could say something to him, it's what I would say to you now, and that is, you see in this psalm the inward dialogue that he's having. He's having this inward dialogue about how he feels, about how he feels left out, how he feels alone, how he feels neglected. And what God's word is compelling us to do is to stop having the inward dialogue about this negative thinking and start having the dialogue about what we know to be true. The inward conversation that we have with ourselves needs to stop being so negative and start being on God's promises. Alistair Begg is a pastor at a Parkside Church in Cleveland. He says this in referring to himself. He said, I have to stop telling myself about how I should feel and I need to start telling myself about what I know. Let me give you an example. You might feel alone. You might feel unseen. You might think that nobody cares about me. Certainly God doesn't care about me. So instead of that conversation that you're having in your mind, this is the one that you replace it with. It's Psalm 139, verse nine. And it says this. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, Lord, you will lead me and your right hand 
will uphold me. That's the conversation that you want on repeat in your mind. You're not alone. God sees you. God loves you. Not a sparrow falls from the sky without his notice. And aren't you more valuable than they? These are verses that you arm yourself with so that when your mind wants to go there, you have this inward conversation, not about what you feel, but what you know. This is what we know. This is what we know to be true. That is what transforms, and that's the point. We need a power greater than ourselves to help win the battle in our minds to transform our thinking. Go back to 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Do you have your stronghold? Do you got it in your mind, or did you write it on your piece of paper? So we've identified the stronghold. Now, what do we, what do we fight with? What slays this stronghold? That's a good hashtag. We should, I want to see that somewhere. Slay the stronghold. What slays the stronghold? Well, we know that the weapon of our warfare that we're fighting with is the word of God. We don't fight with our fists. We fight with the word of God. It's the only offensive weapon that we have, the sword of the spirit. It's the Ephesians 6 armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation. We fight with the sword of the spirit. That's the weapon. We don't fight by changing our negative thinking with happy thinking. We don't think happy thoughts because just thinking happy has no transformative power. We don't think happy thoughts. We think God's thoughts. Your Bible is the mind of God. That's what transforms. Those are the things that we want to be thinking on and thinking about. And in Matthew 4, remember when Jesus was baptized, he was immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He fasts for 40 days and then he's tempted. He's tempted by the devil. And the devil offers up several temptations. And one of which was, hey, you got to be hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Surely you need something to eat. I got it. Just go ahead and turn these stones into bread and satisfy yourself. You won't be hungry anymore. And Jesus replies with divine power. He replies with the truth of God's word. He replies, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of the living God. Even our Savior, to fight these temptations at believing a lie, he fights with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And this temptation, by the way, wasn't for Jesus to eat some food because he was hungry. The temptation was to get Jesus to believe a lie. Instead of believing the lie from the devil, he replaced his lie with the truth. So we recognize that our mind's a battlefield. We identify the stronghold. And we know the weapon we're using to fight, and we know how to fight. We're coming with the word of God. And that leads us to our last point here this morning. Replace lies with truth. We replace lies with truth. The truth is the means of the Holy Spirit's ability to transform our mind. The power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, does the work of God. And it is a mystery. It's a miracle, actually. That when I read words on a piece of paper that we call our Bible, or I look at it on a screen, 
in a language I understand, a power outside of me causes my mind to change. That is a mystery. It's a miracle. My perspective changes. My emotions change when I get my eyes on God's word. We replace lies with truth because the truth sets us free. And the word of God, Hebrews 4.12 says this. That'd be one that you may just want to write down. I don't think we have it on the screen. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. So any physical, literal sword that you can think of that's super sharp, forget it. This sword penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What a sword. The truth renews, the truth recreates, the truth restores, and it completely transforms your mind. Romans 12, 2 says this. You've heard this one before. Do not be conformed to this world or to the patterns of this world. Do not think like the world thinks. Do not adopt the philosophies that the world has adopted but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We renew our minds by replacing the lies that our enemy wants us to believe with the truth. So how do these lies, these strongholds, get out of this fortress of deception? The truth of God's word. The truth of of God's word. Let me show you just an illustration, just a simple illustration I wanna show you. And again, this goes back to what I shared with you earlier, that science tells us that every thought you think creates a neuropathway. And all I want you to think about there is just that it's simply that. It's simply a path inside of your mind, similar to the path that you see here. But what happens is, living a season, days, months, years, a lifetime, of negative thinking, of believing a lie, of having this stronghold take over you, it's not just a pathway in your mind any longer. It is a deep rut so deep that it feels impossible to get out of. That lie has been on repeat so many times in your life that it has created a rut like you see here in this picture. It's not a path any longer. This is a groove and a rut, a trench of lies that is now settled in and it will feel impossible to get out of in your own strength. Does that make sense? You get the picture? These lies on repeat in our mind, it's digging a trench in your brain. That's influencing your life. It's impacting your decisions that you make. But it is possible. The change in our thinking is possible because the Bible assumes that the deciding factor in your mind becoming what it should be is God. The Bible assumes that God is the decisive factor in making our minds what they should become. And if you're in a battle, isn't that what you want to know? I'm in a fight in my mind, man. What's the deciding factor of winning or losing? And somebody says, it's God. <laughs> yes, God is on my side. I can win. God is for me. His word is alive. It's active. And it's our only weapon, by the way. It's all we have. There's no alternative. There is no alternative. 
So to free yourself from these deceptions, these fortresses of deceptions that exist in our minds, we need the word of God. Look back at verse 2 with me. You see that word renewal in, in Romans 12 too? Renewal. That word assumes that the decisive factor is the work of the Spirit. It is God himself. Here's why. That word renewal, it's used only one other time in one other place in your Bible. And it's in Titus 3.5 where Paul says this, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and here it is, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's the word, renewal, renewal of the Holy Spirit. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's a work of God. It's a work of the Spirit. We're radically dependent on him. There is no other alternative. And our efforts follow his initiatives. Last couple of points here. Um, I, I just last couple of things I want to say about replacing truth with lies. And um, these may be probably what I would say are perhaps the most significant. We replace lies with truth. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Here's a powerful reason. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that word again, metamorphothe. We aren't what we once were. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We replace lies with truth so that we can see the mind of God. We behold the glory of the Lord, as Paul says here, which renews our mind by steadfastly gazing at the glories of God for all of who he is. That is transformative. This is the mind of God. And when we dwell on the mind of God, it is impossible for you to not be changed. It transforms. And lastly, and this is just another simple illustration, we replace lies with truth because it reframes our perspective. It reframes our perspective. Can they see that on the screen up there, guys? Okay. Now, this is just a simple illustration that I want to, I, I just, I want you to see something here that I think might be helpful to you. Dwelling on the mind of God, it creates in you a positive mind. It creates in you a changed perspective. You see the world from a different frame or a different lens, perhaps. Nothing in this picture or nothing in your life, maybe the facts haven't changed at all, but your perspective has because of how you choose to frame a situation, how you choose to frame maybe the hardship that you're in. And sometimes, many of us, we hang out here. We hang out here in this mindset that I'm alone, God isn't for me, God has left me, I'm never gonna be good enough. I can't be a good homeschooling mom, I hate it. I see these pictures on Instagram, these moms like smiling faces and they look like they're having a great time. They're not having a great time. 
Maybe in that moment, they're having a good time. But listen, it's hard. That doesn't mean that you don't have what it takes. It just means it's hard. That's it. And we dwell on God's word because it shapes, reshapes our perspective. Let me give you an example. Numbers 13 and 14, you may know this story well. Moses is gazing upon the land in Canaan. It's the land of milk and honey that God has promised to Israel. And 12 spies he sends out to go scope out this land for 40 days. And you know what happens? These spies come back. All 12 of them come back, and they've got a report that they want to give to Moses. And you know what 10 of the 12 said? They said, are you kidding me? You, you think we're going to go take this land? We, we are like grasshoppers. As a matter of fact, not only do I think I'm a grasshopper, but I'm sure they think we're grasshoppers too. They're not thinking that. They're probably thinking, man, with God on their side, we're doomed. But no, no, no. The 10 of the 12, we, what are we doing here? As a matter of fact, they go on to say, we, we're better off dead. You know what? Can we go back to Egypt? We, we, we need to go back to Egypt. The, the, I, I cannot believe what you're asking of us, Moses. That's their perspective. Don't be like the 10. What does Joshua and Caleb say? They say, are you kidding me, Moses? This is the land of milk and honey. We, we got it. This is the promise God made to us. God is on our side. God is for us. We trust the promises of God, Moses. Let's roll. And I think so often we get in situations where we cannot get our minds out of this frame, out of this perspective. I'll give you another example. I had, for probably 18 months, have been struggling at work. And a guy that I had uh, agreed to come and work at this company for, he, he was just a man I respect. He's a man of God. And I said, you know, I can go work for this guy. Well, within six months, he left. And I found myself working for two men. One is the owner and one is a supervisor who were godless men. And that's just a kind way to say it. It's the true way to say it. They're not only godless, they're antagonistic towards the things of God, all things of God. And I remember calling my wife and I said, sweetheart, I am, I am not cut out for this. I can't believe, I think, I don't know what the Lord's doing, but clearly he made a mistake. I was supposed to be here for this guy. He moves on and now I'm working for these godless men. I'm not gonna build some godless kingdom for these guys. Uh, my effort is gonna go help these men build a godless kingdom? That doesn't sound like something God wants for me. How could I be in this situation? You see where my mind's going. I'm having this conversation with her. You know what my wife does? She lets me go. And then she says this. Maybe you at this job is not about you at all. I'm like, what? Yeah. Have you prayed for their soul? That's what she said. Like, have I prayed for their soul? Did you not just hear what I said? I, have you prayed for their soul? God has not forsaken us. God meets all of our needs. God provides all we've ever needed. God has been so faithful to us. Instead of you thinking God has made a mistake and believing this lie that you're in the wrong spot, pray for their soul. You see, dwelling on God's word has a, 
ability to change your perspective. It changes the frame of how you see a situation. So we acknowledge that our mind is a battlefield. We identify the stronghold and we replace truth with lies. The truth is what transforms. The truth is what transforms. Now, let me just give you four quick practical steps to renew your mind. And these aren't going to be earth-shattering, but they're just very practical. It's a practical way, consider it mental training for you and I, that when we get in these moments that seem dark and we're in this fortress of deception, here's what I want you to do. The first thing I want you to do is just pause. I want you to pause. I want you to say, nope, time out, time out. I can see what's happening here. I feel it. This groove is wearing in my brain. This pattern of negative thinking, this pattern of me believing these lies. I'm going to pause. And then I'm going to identify the stronghold. I'm going to define it. I'm going to call out, yep, I recognize it. Yep, it's causing me to feel super anxious. It's causing me to, to feel like I'm alone but I'm recognizing it and I'm calling it out for what it is. And step three, I'm gonna replace the lie with the truth. So in moments where I feel like I'm not good enough, this is exactly what I do. I have to. I have to get my mind out of this state of I'm not good enough. I'm never gonna be successful enough. I'm not gonna get all this right. I'm going to be unclear. Nobody's going to understand me. All this stuff comes into my head. And then I'm reminded what Peter said. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is one that I repeat in my head. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ or through the knowledge of him, he has given all you need for life and godliness. God has given me all I need for life and godliness. Because the truth is, I won't ever be good enough and neither will you. Neither will you. But God in his mercy chose to rescue me. And it's because of Christ and his work, that's what makes me good enough. And from that point forward, God promises to meet all of my needs. God promises that he's given me all I need for life and godliness. Those kinds of things, those practical steps, those are on repeat in my mind. And that's what we have to do as well. So lastly, and this is just more of a prayer that I have for you, what's the outcome? What's the outcome? So, okay, if I do all of this, what's the outcome? Will I have more friends? Will thinking uh, on God's promises instead of talking to myself about how I should feel, does that get me a better job? Does that get me a better marriage? I don't know. Maybe not. But what I can tell you is what God promises. And this is my prayer for you, and it's in Isaiah 26.3. It says this, this is the outcome of dwelling on God's word. This is the outcome of allowing God's word to dwell in your heart, to transform and renew your mind. This is the outcome. Isaiah 26.3 says this, you will keep him in perfect peace. Gosh, I feel like when I say that, that phrase, perfect peace, like I need to like almost whisper it, like 
perfect peace. Doesn't that just make you like, perfect peace? Who doesn't want perfect peace? And not a peace, not sometimes peace. Perfect peace. That's the outcome. Why? Because he gives it to those whose mind is stayed on God, is fixed on God. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. My prayer for you is that. That's my prayer for me. I pray God renews your mind day by day so that you and I can both experience perfect peace. And that we can win this war in our mind because God in his grace has given you perfect peace. In the phrase at the end of that verse, he gives perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you. You know what that means? It simply means that it's someone who puts their full weight on something else. Have you put your full weight resting in God's promises? Can you imagine? Your full weight all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength resting on God's promises. That's the conversation, my friends, that we have to have on repeat in our minds. We keep our minds stayed on God, fixed on God, and He promises perfect peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that promise. And, and if I'm being honest, Lord, it, at times it feels impossible. Like I, I, I'm reaching for this perfect peace and ah, it, it seems at times out of my grasp. But Lord, I will not go down this path that I know the enemy wants me to go down. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, Lord, that the new pathways that we create in our minds is a trench of truth and that our minds are stayed on you. They're fixed on you and the promises that you've made. Lord, help us to have these internal conversations, not about what we feel, but about what we know is true. Lord, grant peace. Grant peace to those even this morning who may find themselves still in the struggle. And Lord, give them courage and boldness to take one step forward and find a friend or somebody here that cares for them and loves them and they're willing to share, hey, I'm struggling. I need some help. Thank you, Lord, that you offer perfect peace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.